So one of the uh, good things that's uh, come of us through the disruption of the pandemic and coming back into worship is uh, people are not sitting in their assigned seats anymore. And uh, that that's, that I really I really like that people are sitting in places where they don't normally sit. So that's that's good. Um, also, you can tell the seasons are changing. There's a cough drop up here. One of my favorite cough drops. You know, this hall's cough drops with the um, motivational statements on it, which is so dumb because if you need a cough drop, you don't need to be motivated. But this one says, fire up those engines. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're going we're gonna to look this morning at, at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. The text is in the bulletin. Also up on the screens behind me, uh, uh, Paul just began uh, last week introducing himself, uh, reintroducing himself and Timothy uh, to uh, the church in Philippi. And now he's going to get into the heart of the letter, uh, thanking them, beginning to thank them for the gift that they had sent him, and also to talk a little bit about uh, uh, his circumstances. So uh, let me read to you Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5. The text is uh, in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. Um, and uh, But before I do that, let me, let me pray. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we read this text today, it's full of words about joy and thanksgiving. It's full of words of good news. And so I pray that you would help us uh, today to embrace that in the midst of a disruptive and a hard time. I pray that you would, by your spirit, Give us confidence in the truth of your word and in you. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is writing this church in Philippi that he helped to start, and uh, they, uh, he is in jail, uh, facing a very uncertain future. Uh, they have sent him a gift uh, by Epaphroditus. We'll talk about that in a few more weeks, a little bit more. Um, and he is writing back to them to tell them about his situation, to encourage them, and to thank them for the good gift that, uh, that, that they have been to him and that they've given to him. But he also talks to them about this concept of partnership and the gospel across uh, space and uh, 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 ethnicity and all, all of that sort of thing. And so I thought this morning as I was uh, praying about um, before church, it occurred to me uh, to think this morning about uh, Rob and Rebecca Musser. The Mussers were here last Sunday, and this Sunday they're in London. Uh, and uh, I, th- I thought about the fact that we have a partnership with them. They're our, our very own folks who belong to us, who belong to our church, who uh, now uh, have been called and are there uh, in London with their three kids. Uh, and I th- thought of wonder- wondering what, what kind of joy they're experiencing this morning and London, uh, in quarantine, uh, with their three kids. 
That would be awesome, right? <laughs> what, a, what a great opportunity for God to get a lot of glory and for some uh, uh, remarkable things to happen. But the fact of the matter is that's, that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? The, the, the reality is that what Paul is getting at in this text as he is there in, in prison is he wants the, the church at Philippi uh, to be uh, reminded uh, that he is grateful for them, but he also wants them to be reminded of his joy, right? And that's that's a pretty profound uh, thing. Claire, you can go ahead and, and, and put my notes up there. So um, he's he prays for them, and he prays for them with thanksgiving and with joy. Now, he's grateful because they've given him a gift, but he's also grateful because they share a partnership together, because they belong to one another. And so he is he is praying to God, giving thanksgiving to God because of this fact that uh, that they have this fellowship with one another. Now, um, you can do a study of all the letters that Paul wrote. Paul almost always, when he speaks about being grateful or thankful, he most often talks about spiritual blessings and particularly spiritual blessings that come to him through his relationships with other people. And so even though he's not with them and he may never be with them again, he is grateful for them. He remembers them. He thinks about them and he is grateful that they love him and that he loves them. And he remembers what it was like when he was there in Philippi. He remembers what it was like as that church got planted. He remembers those faces and they're very dear to him. And he wants these people to know that even while he is in joy, uh, while he is in jail, he has joy, joy, real joy. Now, let's just take a minute and talk about that. It's one thing to be grateful and to be thankful uh, in the midst of difficult circumstances. At the very least, you know, you can always be, well, we're thankful that at least it wasn't as bad as it could be. But where do you find joy in a hard situation? Where do you find joy in a pandemic? Where do you find joy in a situation of uncertainty? Where do you find joy in a, a culture and a society that is at war with itself? Where, where, where do you find joy? Now, those of you who have grown up in church or been around church very much, you know that, well, now joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. Well, listen, on a beautiful day, You should be grateful, you should be thankful, and you should experience some joy that God has given you the gift of a beautiful day. There's nothing wrong with that circumstance feeding some joy. It's good. Those are gifts from God. Those are things to be appreciated. Those are things to be enjoyed. So, so there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what about joy in the midst of being locked away in, 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 in jail, facing an uncertain future, not knowing what's going to happen? What, where can you find joy in the midst of a, a hard, 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 uncertain situation that we find ourselves in now? We, we were thinking earlier in the summer when about what uh, topic, what text to preach through this fall. We considered doing the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are great. Uh, Ten Commandments are a uh, God's declaration of his character and his will for his people. Uh, but I had the sense that we're a little brittle for that. And that honestly, uh, we, we need, we need some other things that God might say to us during this time. 
Where's your joy? How do you get joy when everything is hard and everything is scary and everything is discouraging? Where do you get partnership in a situation where everybody seems to be at war with everybody else? How does this work? Well, um, thanksgiving and joy to God come uh, while someone's suffering in prison comes from a settled faith in the goodness and sovereignty of God. Paul gives us a clue about this in this text where he begins by saying, I thank my God. Now, that may be a a small thing. It may be a thing that doesn't seem like that much to you. But the fact of the matter is, when Paul says, I thank God, he is thinking of this, his God, the God that he has a personal relationship with, the God who knows him and that he knows. And so at the very outset, as he speaks to us about his situation, he wants us to understand that he has not forgotten and he doesn't think that he has been forgotten by his God. Who knows him, who loves him, who is uh, the sovereign and gracious one to him. And so, as, as we can see here, we, thanksgiving to God while suffering in prison comes from a settled faith in the goodness and sovereignty of God, right? And a blessing of that sovereignty, that is that God is in control, is Paul's sweet relationship with the Philippians. Paul, Paul has this great relationship with this church, and he does that because he believes that God and his sovereignty has planted this church. Now, you can go back and read some other epistles that Paul writes, and he begins at the very beginning of the epistle, and he says, man, I I am stunned at how you guys are falling away. That's how Galatians begins. He writes to the church in Corinth, the church he he loves, and they're at each other's throats. And though there's some issues in this church that he will address, there are some conflicts there that he will address. The fact is he has this very sweet and loving and warm relationship with these people. They love him and he loves them. And that, But that's not the only source of his joy. He can recognize that he is in relationship with them and in the situation he is in because God has sovereignly brought them together and God has sovereignly placed them now in the situation that they're in. Listen, if you want joy today, Quit working on thinking, I need to have joy. <laughs> quit, quit, quit focusing on where is something uh, in my life and in my circumstances that I can have some joy about. Rather, think about something else. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul's focus is not so much upon, I need to drum up some joy here, but his understanding is he has a settled faith in the fact that God is in control, And the God who is in control is good and loving and gracious. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read to you a a portion of a passage from the Belgic Confession, which is a Reformed confession of of, uh, Reformed churches. It's a little bit long, but you know what? You need to hear it this morning. I need to hear it. We believe that this good God, after creating all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune but leads and governs them according to his holy will in such a way that nothing happens in this world without God's orderly arrangement. 
And you know, it's, it's funny. I am a Presbyterian pastor. I believe, and you can ask my kids about this, I am a diehard believer in the sovereignty of God. But I forget that. Yet God is not the author of and cannot be charged with the sin that occurs. For God's power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that God arranges and does his works very well and justly, even when the devils and the the wicked act unjustly. We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what God does that surpasses human understanding. And trust me, much of what God does, I don't understand. It's beyond my ability to comprehend. I'm just grateful that in his mind and in his uh, power, these things work together. Next slide. But in all humility and reverence, we adored the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, being content to be Christ's disciples, so as to learn only what God shows us in the word without going beyond those limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious heavenly father who watches over us with fatherly care, sustaining all creatures under his lordship so that not one of the hairs on our heads, for they're all numbered, that's easier for some than others, nor even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our father. The sparrows are significant, not because they're beautiful, but they are, not because they sing beautifully, because they do, but because God holds them in his hand and cares for them, right? So if that's true of sparrows, how much more is it true of those of us who are created in his image? In this thought, we rest, knowing that God holds in check the devils and all our enemies and who cannot hurt us without divine permission and will. Paul is able to have joy, not because he's in an enjoyable situation, but because he has a God who knows him, who loves him, who is for him, and who sovereignly orders the affairs of his life and the world. That's the source of joy. It comes from what we've already sung this morning, that the Lord is our shepherd. What we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. This God who order, who made the world and orders the affairs of the, the world is not absent, is not silent, is not powerless, is love itself sovereignly at work in our lives and in the, the affairs of this world. And though I don't always understand, and though I often lament and complain, the source of joy is not going to come from how I manage things, but by resting in the fact that I do not manage things, that this one who lived, died, and rose again for me holds my life in his hands, and it is dear to him. And what happens to me is dear to him. And he orders the affairs of my life because of that. 
So that's the source of his joy, right? He's, he's not in a place by accident and he is not in this place because God is against him in some way. It is because this is precisely what the Lord has for him. But Paul goes on to say, too, that that he is grateful in the midst of this and that he thanks God because of the partnership that he has with the church in Philippi. Now, some some uh, translations say this as fellowship. And I don't really I don't really like the word fellowship in in this context so much, uh, because what is really going on here is not just something that because we tend to think of fellowship as we hung out together. We had fellowship, right? But what Paul's talking about is something much more dynamic than that and, and much more profound than that. What he is talking about is that this, this, this uh, union and this relationship that we have with one another in the church across time and across space and uh, across uh, all of those uh, ethnicity, race, all of those things, so that we are united together, working together, focused together, loving the things that Jesus loves, hating the things that Jesus hates, involved and engaged together in his mission to declare the wonder of the cross, the wonder of the atoning work of Jesus Christ to the whole world. They're in this together. They're partnered together. They love each other. But the fact is, there is much about them and much about Paul and much about the church in Philippi that are different, right? Um, one of the things that, that, uh, that we know about this is, is that Paul was a, uh, a, a, a Jew, right? He was Jewish, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And the vast majority of the people in the church at Philippi are people who are Gentiles. And yet... Paul sacrificed his body. Remember, he was beaten, thrown in jail for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the people in Philippi. The people in Philippi are sacrificing their money to send to Paul. Their partnership uh, bridged their ethnic and uh, uh, other gaps so that they were willing to love each other and give evidence of their partnership by sacrificing for one another. You, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I think about is, um, when I first, when it first became popular for people to talk about the, the person you're married to as your partner, I kind of didn't like that because we often, you know, it's the same, it's like the same phrase, investing in relationships. You are, you're not an investment. You know, I don't, I don't, we're not, we're not to love one another because of the payback, the dividends. Right. Uh, and our partnership is not we engage together so we can have a profitable relationship together. We're partnered together because in the cause of Christ, he has joined us. He he joins us together. And so we learn to love the same things. Uh, we learn to hate the same things. That's one of the great things about a, a, a long term marriage is uh, that, that you actually work together. You're crazy about each other, can't keep your hands off of each other. But as you get older, you still are crazy about each other, can't keep your hands off of each other. But there's something deeper about loving the same things, having the same kinds of experience, and having the same kind of understanding about the way the world works. Well, that's what Paul's experiencing here in this, in this partnership, right? Next slide. And, and that he, that he experiences with them. We, we, uh, often settle for relationships and what we think of as fellowship, as partnership 
really is just affinity with someone, right? Uh, there must always be this bond between Christians. If we unite with others on the basis of affluence, we'll exclude the poor. If we unite along social lines, we will exclude those who move and live differently than we do socially. If we unite based on education, we'll exclude those with different, differing educational experiences. In all of these cases, the witness and the fellowship of the church will suffer. If people see Christians hanging out together who are exactly alike, with no differences between them, then there's nothing supernatural going on there. There's nothing unusual that is joining people together, right? It's like, of course they, they get along because they're two peas in a pod, right? When in fact, what Paul is getting at here is this partnership is profound and dynamic as these people love and sacrifice for each other. And the thing that they have in common with each other is this understanding that Jesus is for them and that uh, that is really the thing that unites them. What a sacrifice it would be for you to move, be moved, be forced to move to another country where you do not speak the language and you do not understand the customs and you do not know much about it, but you're settled in a community and there is a church nearby and you go to worship in that church simply because you believe, you hear that Jesus Christ is Lord and proclaimed in that church and you join yourself to that church. What have you had to sacrifice to do that? your comfort, your cultural understanding, your social understanding, but simply because Jesus is Lord and he unites you to these other people, you go and you make that sacrifice. It's a beautiful thing. People in our community do that here with us all the time. All the time. Do you see them? Do you understand how hard it is but how beautiful it is that I will join with this group of people who are a different color from me, a different culture from me, a different understanding of so much. But the big thing is we both believe that Jesus is good and he's Lord. That's a pretty powerful thing. And, and when, when, when people see that and experience that, that sacrifice, the sweetness and the dynamism of that is attractive. And so it's a, it's a pretty profound thing that we see here that this, this partnership that's going on, there's, there are a lot of things about Paul and a lot of things about the people in Philippi that is different. But the one thing that unites them is they know that Jesus loves them. They know that Jesus is his Lord. They know that he has lived and died and risen again for them and that he's put them together in the, his mission to proclaim the goodness and the power of his grace to the world. Is there any place in your life where you sacrifice to be in partnership with someone different from you? Or is there any place in your life where someone sacrifices who is different from you to be in partnership with you for the sake of the gospel? That's what is being described here, and that's what we're seeing here in this, in this work that Paul and the church at Philippi are doing together.
No wonder there's joy. Because they're uniquely knit together in a way that they never would have just on their own. But God in his sovereign purpose has put this Hebrew of Hebrews with this Gentile church. And they had this sweet relationship with each other for the sake of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. Something very rare, isn't it? Uh, We need to pray that God would do that more and more with, in, and through us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we we recognize the fact that um, we confuse often joy with, oh, happiness. We often confuse partnership uh, with affinity. And so I pray that you would broaden our vision by your spirit, challenge us, change us, help us, uh, and that you would open our eyes to the bigness of the thing that you are doing in building your church. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's use this confession of sin. It's in the bulletin, also uh, up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, Let's confess our sins together. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believers hear these words of encouragement. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good.